A very good morning to you. Welcome on into today's programme. We're going to go to Galway Greats and today we're joined by the wonderful Paul Hughes who joins us from the Abbey Glen Castle in Clifton. And he joins me this morning. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Welcome. Good to talk to you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where were you born, can I ask you? Born in Dublin. Um, born and reared in Dublin. I had no interest in education. But all my children, my four sons and daughters, they were very academic and they've done great for themselves. But I did other things. I loved my mother out of desperation. It took me, sent me up to Donegal to distant cousins to farming. So I spent four summers in a row, age 11, 12, 13 and 14. And learning how to milk cows, how to make butter, you know, how to mine chicken and hens, how to wind turf, and uh, everything that goes with the farm. That, that was magic. I love that. I love that. Tell me a little bit about your family, because your mother was Nancy Coyle, and her brother was Danny Coyle, who'd be John Coyle's dad, and then there was uh, Mary Coyle as well, uh, who married Todd Andrew. So, I mean, you a, a, a very strong family base around you. Yeah, I would, yeah, but I'm sure they all did their own things. <laughs> I clearly had to do my own thing as well, you know. And uh, it's great. They're all great friends as well, and I wish them well and continued success. So school then wasn't for you? Definitely not. Definitely not. You enjoyed the farming and the chickens and all of that type of stuff in Donegal? Definitely, definitely. It's in my blood, and... Uh, so out of desperation there again my mother didn't know what she was going to do with me so she took me by the hand one day down to meet a great hoteler called Ken Besson and they owned two big hotels in Dublin at the time the Hibernian and the Russell Hotel on Stephen's Green and it was the hotel at the time to stay in or whatever and uh, and um, there there my love for the catering business grew and grew and eventually they arranged for me to get experience abroad I did two two years with them but uh, got great experience in France for one year learning French at the same time and then the second year was in Italy in, in Rome which I loved and then the final six months on was in Switzerland, also in the hotel business, which I loved, and uh, eventually came back to Dublin, and uh, first job I got was a junior assistant manager's job in the Morrow Hotel, part of the Juries Group, up on Trinity Street, and got great experience there, there for just under two years, and then I was only 24 at the time, and my uncle Tony Cole, my role became my role model. Uh, foolishly, gave a twenty-four-year-old <laughs> the job of director general of uh, Renville House Hotel. So I thought, as the summer went on, things went bad for, to worse. But I was learning a bit along the line at the age of twenty-four, and um, then he just had sided along the. Way Donny Coyle, it was time to sell, sell out, and I got helping him out with that. And we interviewed uh, the owners of THF Trust House Forte, and uh, they eventually Donny Coyle and 
trust has for you are doing deal with number and money and everything. And uh, one of the conditions, one of the conditions of the deal was that I should stay on as manager, you know. So, uh, <laughs> then it called it off rightly, so I can't be too bad after all, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> suddenly the, the property was off the market. And Renville today is going from strength to strength to strength, you know. Go back to the Moira Hotel then, because when you came back from France, from, from, from Biarritz and Rome and Switzerland, you went into the Moira Hotel. You, you met your wife there. Yeah, June, from Dundalk, June Cahill. She was a trainee manager at the time, and uh, we hit it off, and we had a great marriage and produced fine family, fine sons. And did June come with you when you were coming down at 24 years of age? Yeah. Uh, There's no way she'd come with me till we actually got married, yeah. (laughs) So I was down a month or two ahead of her, you know. So of that year, 1964, yes. That was the year we got married, and she came to Renville, and we started making babies. And, and you, you, you had three of the children there, so you had... Uh, we'll talk about then what you did after that. But tourism was, was fairly new then at that... 1964, taking over at 24, tourism was fairly new at that stage, so you had to work at it, and you also lived on site. Oh, definitely. You couldn't live any... You couldn't afford to live anywhere else. And that that was very good, and um, that led me to believe we had to do more. Had, we did day tours, we made up a whole programme of people things people to, to do every day, and I got involved in the golf club then. The local priest, Father Peter Waldron, had been walking the land out there. So he, year one, still 1964, uh, we got together and... Um, the whole committee was eventually set up and there great men there, Dr. Michael Casey and a uh, good few others um, joined in the, the Ethel Kyo and uh, Francie Mannion. All the great team, dedicated people. And Brendan Allen came up again, great family friend. And he helped with the litigation here, getting, getting us up and running in and uh, he was a very strong influence on the Connemara Golf Club, getting it up and running. Again, we'll, we'll come back to the Connemara Golf Club in, in a moment, but I mean, musically, um, at this stage, you've, you've picked a bit of music called The Fields of Donegal, because that's where you started to get the love of not having to get education, but the love of life. True, true. No regrets, yeah. <laughs> I don't miss education at all. But I admired those who did successfully achieve a degree. And if we could have pulled a wall around the Donegal The north and south to keep them out By God I'd build it tall You see those chicken ranches I'd legalise them all We'll have our own Las Vegas In the hills of Donegal a very good morning to you. Welcome back to the programme. I'm with the wonderful Paul Hughes here and we're looking at uh, Galway Great and he certainly is a major Galway Great. Can I go back to 
I'll go back to your family in, in a few minutes' time, but can I just go back to Renville House Hotel and your uncle, uh, Danny Coyle. When did you decide to leave um, Renville? Well, I was always on the move and ambitions, and Danny Coyle is my role model. I'd learned from him how to build. He was a director, founder of Galway Concrete, and learnt all from him. He was well able to send us out loads of ready mix or <laughs> block layers and t- tradesmen as we needed. So I learned how to build from him, Donny Goyle. He, he's a great man. I remember the Ren would in those years would only been open from Easter till the end of September, you know. So there's loads of time in the winter for doing other things and building houses for guests I got to know, you know, people like that. So you occupied yourself outside of that. But going back to leaving Renville, at what stage then did you and um, your wife decide we're, we're going to leave Renville? Yeah, that was after five years, the fifth year there. And we wanted our own place and looked around at places to buy that were available. And um, at the same time then I'd given him my notice and decided we'd open a restaurant in Dublin. We opened the old Dublin restaurant on Francis Street and we did it up ourselves. I did think did the electrical work myself. That was uh, nice bread and butter. When I got up and running then, I was involved in interviewing for new managers for Renville. And my cousin Hugh Coyle, who had been younger than me and not the same experience, was available. So the final deal was, then I put it to Donny Coyle, that I'd go back to Renville for another year, i.e. 1969, and work with him and train him in. And that's how that came about. And meanwhile, this property here, Glen Owen House Hotel, became available and I rented it for three years with an option to buy it. And then, of course, the trouble is in the north that started then and things were harder and harder. So there's no question of building a new place and grants had all dried up and disappeared. And uh, But then I began to love Clifton and um, people at Clifton were very good to us and uh, we're still here. <laughs> Can I ask you, when you took over Glenown House Hotel, what was it like... How many bedrooms did you have? Were they en suite? About 10 bedrooms. Really basic bedrooms. There's no such thing as private bathroom or running water. And there probably was running water, but that'd be about the limit of us, you know. Uh, but it was a start, and we were still able to provide good dinners and uh, the well- welcome, the hospitality. And it grew and grew and grew, you know, on a relatively very short se- season. So the whole rest of the year to be thinking about other things and how to entertain people, yeah. So in those days then, the season would have gone from when to when? Well, year one was just from mid-May to the end of September, yeah. And gradually we added on a week each end as it grew and grew and grew. And it must have been difficult to, to hold on to staff at that stage. Yeah, a lot of our staff came from Belmullet. There's nobody locally available to work. They'd all... Uh, emigrated to England or elsewhere. So certainly every Easter time, a week before or two, we'd go up with a big car and bring down probably six or eight girls who'd be with us for the rest of the summer, you know, 
until they were closed up again. And then hopefully the following year we'd get them back. But over the years then they began to make friends, uh, friends locally and got married. The area needed population. There were no people, no people you could employ. And did you have to put them up in those days? Yes, there's some back rooms in the hotel we could use. And we'd hired smaller places downtown to put them up in. But definitely we had to accommodate them and feed them and mind them. You alluded earlier on that um, to building houses. So you built houses on Inishboffin, you built houses around here. Where did you get the grow or the love for building? Well, I'd learned all that from my uncle Johnny Coyle because he had got me into building in Renville. The staff quarters was my first major building job. It flowed from there. Your people had bought a plot of land and they wanted a house built on and we'd get them planning permission. We'd pick pick a, a local architect or they sometimes they had the plans already, you know. Give them a price and hope for the best and full steam ahead. I certainly, every winter, I'd have two or three building projects going on during the closed months of Abiglan. But for a man who didn't like school and didn't like education, you became very, very successful. Yeah, well, that's trial and error. Credits to Tony Coyle, my first uh, hero. Moving forward then, I mean, at what stage did um, the Abiglan become a castle and as big as it is? Yeah, well, a few, few years on, I felt we weren't attracting enough Americans, you know. And I looked around at other castles that weren't available, i.e. Badenahinch or whatever, and I knew the only thing to do. And we're very lucky to have great architects, God rest him now, Leo Mansfield, who designed all the turrets and towers, and he got it right in day one, yeah. <laughs> So you created the castle? Created a castle, yeah. When did you decide to change it from the Glen Owen House Hotel uh, to Abbey Glen? And how did you pick the word Abbey Glen? Well, top of the alphabet, you know. I definitely had to move up the alphabet to draw business in, you know. Paul, when you say move up the alphabet, A was the top of the alphabet and still is. But that was, that was very cute marketing. I mean, there's people coming out of college with masters that wouldn't think of that. But that's because of we had a telephone directory and books at the time. Yeah, and it was desperation. You, you, knew, you knew you had to do something to survive. And we're very lucky to ha- in the mid-80s to have Leo Mansfield design the castle. Within the year we were, we were building it, yeah. creating the turrets and towers and all that go with it and change the whole frontage and format. It was major investment at the time, but it's paid off for you. It did, it did. It was a must, yeah. And uh, thank God we're still here. <laughs> Can I talk to you about those that have come to the um, the hotel? Names like Peter O'Toole, Princess Grace. Colin Wilkinson is a friend of yours. Woody Allen and Mia Farrow were here just before they broke up, which is none of your fault. You've had some big names here. Yeah, and um, we'd make an extra fuss over famous people, you know. And in more recent years, we've had um, Colin Wilkinson, we mentioned, uh, uh, Johnny Logan, some of the stars from Fair City. But you treat everybody the same. Um, your, your two sons are in the business now. But you, everyone is treated as if they are the VIP of the building here. But that's the style that you've created since you opened. Yeah, and rightly so, you know. Because um, if they're well left, looked after, they'll want to come back. As I say to everybody, you must love it first and, and then live it. Yeah. And then they'll come back. Yeah. 
Can I ask you there just a, a piece of music at this stage? You've decided and you mentioned that Colin Wilkinson is a friend of yours. So uh, we'll take a bit of Colin Wilkinson music there, maybe. That'd be lovely, yeah. A very good morning to you. Welcome into the programme. We're with you right through until 12 midday today. And with the goal, we're great. And that is the wonderful uh, Paul Hughes from Abbey Glen Castle Hotel. Paul, just looking at your, your family tree uh, that we spoke about earlier on, your mom was Nancy Coyle, Danny Coyle, May Coyle, and Mary Ted Andrew. Um, and we know of your relationship with Ryan Trubberty. Um You had a very close family. Yeah, we're very lucky. And they were all colourful people. The coils, by the way, are all from Derry, the Colmore Road. They all moved to Dublin in the early 20s and they lived in a big fine house there, number one, Maspel Road. And uh, so the, the relations are, um, my mother was Nancy Coyle, Todd Andrews' wife, Mary Coyle, she was the eldest, married Todd Andrews. Mary Andrews had been a grandmother, grandmother of... Ryan Tuberdale. Who's been a great friend to you here, but a great friend to Clifton. Very. Yes, every day on the programme he'd mentioned Clifton, yeah. He literally put Clifton on the map, yeah. And again, continues to be, because we know he's gone through what he's gone through, but I mean, you were always there to support him. Of course we were. And there always be an open door here from him. And he's a great friend and a great character, and he's singing at night in the bar, you know. Was he a good singer? I'd say yes, very good. He was a good performer. Even thinking of the toy show, yeah. not the musical, <laughs> the other one. <laughs> Don't mention the musical. Coming back to your own family then, so you have uh, four sons indeed. So Brian and Ronan are in the business. Aidan, your eldest, is based in London. And uh, Dermot... Um, is also and you're also your daughter indeed. You've a you've a daughter indeed, Natasha, Natasha. who's in in the UK as well. Yeah, she got married last year, and she just had a lovely daughter of her own, Leila, and she's a great friend. To keep the next generation alive and kicking. And do they get home often, or do they try and get home often? Well, quite quite often, quite often. They're moving house in London at present, you know, and. Uh, Apparently an upgrade. She was she was lucky. She met a fine man from uh, Mayo. Her her married name is Her H E double R Natasha Her Jonathan and, and Natasha Her. Yeah. And again, you're proud of your family, but you're proud of what they've achieved, and they're very proud of what you've achieved. Would you say are you semi-retired or fully retired? I'm <laughs> I'm re- retired from Abbey Glen, but I'm always around. Number one, uh, I've very full of life. Every day, I have a long list of things to do. You know, I'm anything but retired. There's one last project that you're very strong on, and 
it's gone on for a long time and that's the airstrip that you and others have worked on. You referred to it at the very beginning. What do you want to see happening with that airstrip that's uh, close to Cleggan there? Well, time will tell. In the early 90s, there was a plebiscite and a full 90% wanted it uh, with uh, a long history of getting planning permission. But ev- eventually they were built with help. We raised uh, nearly a million locally people in the same way as set up the Connemara Golf Club. This time they put in 5,000 instead of 500. Old money. The government all really paid the the most part of the bill between, because they did develop Inish Boffin as well, do CPO, you know, on it. But it's up and running and it's not not running, it's up. We had a big opening there to celebrate the first transatlantic flight. We put a statue made out of bronze on the square in Clifton to celebrate that occasion, you know. Can I go back, though, to the airport? I mean, so the airport is up and running, there's fencing in it, and the Coast Guard is in there, the runway is 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 ready for action. Um, likewise, on Inish Boffin, it's there. But you want political will, and there's a lot of political will behind it, you want political will to get that up and running fully so that people can bring their plane come into Clifton, go to Inishbofen and enjoy the West of Ireland. Well, that will come in time. The mood will change. You know. It's there in Bilton uh, and it will be historical if not already. Would you like to see it open in your life? Of course. Of course. But if not, we, we've done our bit and the volunteers, the, the committee, strong volunteers who given out hours and days of their voluntary life tours at work making it happen uh, are still uh, still around there's still five of us left and uh, I'm sure it will happen someday but we've got to be patient Finally Paul there's um, you're known for a, a catchphrase what is that catchphrase I can't remember the password is cheers the wonderful uh, Paul Hughes and thanks to uh, Eileen and all the crew in the Abbey Glen and to Paul as well um, he put a huge amount of research into it, God bless him, and a lovely story. And I learned a lot about him, I have to say. And uh, listening to it there again, it's uh, he's a very special person. And Clifton is um, lucky to have um, the Paul Hughes. Now, let me go to sport and Oliver sits opposite me uh, today. Oliver, morning to you. Morning to you, Keith. A busy, busy weekend. Yeah. Uh, start with soccer, Chris Coleman. Yeah, a name that did, was bandied did he, about. Did he f- self-appoint himself? A few, I don't think so. I'd say it's more a case that for the Republic of Ireland senior football manager, the FAI feel that they're really under pressure to get this kind of put to bed now. So Lee Carsley was the obvious favourite that a lot of people yeah. touted up was given the job or certainly offered the job. But it looks like he's happy enough where he is. Uh, he's a former Republic of Ireland international. That's the current England under-21 boss. And it's over a month ago now, by the time the FAI would have gone over to London to speak to Lee, I would imagine offer him the job. But it seems from last week, it's pretty apparent that, you know, he doesn't want to take the job. He's holding out mm. for a bigger gig and he probably sees himself maybe as the England manager in a couple of years' time, and well, rightfully really, so. They, well, they want, they want them to relocate to Ireland and be on the ground here. But not, that would not make flying sense. in and flying out. Yeah, and like that's what has happened in the past. It's been a kind of a part-time almost, you know, effort, mm. depending on who the manager was. Now, with Stephen Kenny, clearly that wasn't the case. No, he was no, here. No. Yeah. And that was a big reason probably why he got the job. But in terms of 
the, the front runners. I mean, Neil Lennon spoke at the weekend on TV coverage that he felt a decision was imminent. He was interviewed for the position and I think, you know, people have obviously gone lukewarm a little bit on Neil Lennon if Chris Coleman now has jumped to the front of the queue. So I think we can read between the lines that, you know, they've given up on Lee Carsley. Neil Lennon has been spoken to and now Chris Coleman because people have seen the FAI talking to Chris Coleman. They're figuring, right, well, he's obviously now jumped to the front of the queue. Now he has a bigger international CV than a lot of contenders for this job, having got Wales to the Euro 2016 semi-finals. Mm. But he has been out of work for a couple of years. Now, would he be a good fit for Ireland? Well, time will tell, but it does seem like an announcement will be made in the next couple of days. And the sooner the better, probably, because Ireland have a couple of friendlies coming up, and then you're talking about the, the, the Euro qualifiers coming up pretty soon after that. So, you know, and, and tough games as well but I'm sure Chris Coleman would really relish Ireland taking on England in September mm. <laughs> in, in the first of those yeah. uh, qualifiers so that would be a big gig for him to get oh, Would uh, he have to relocate over here then? Do you? Well he's not a million miles away is he over in Wales No if, he's not and, and it's not like you know international football he's going to be watching League of Ireland he'll be watching Premier League games so I think in fairness you know he will be spending most of his time I would think in England watching Premier League players and you know in fairness to Jurgen Klopp he came out and gave a glowing reference to Cuivine Kelleher uh, mm. with Liverpool's victory at the weekend 4-1 at Brentford and said you know he was fantastic he said if Ireland have a better number one than him then good luck to them now he's been in a battle with Gavin Bazunu for the last couple of years but Kelleher's only ever played 11 times uh, for the Republic of Ireland so that's just the start okay. of where you need like bottom line is you need to be looking at five or six at least of the Irish starting team playing in the Premier League and that's not the case at the moment. So, yeah, you just wait and see what kind of team Chris Coleman can pull together or what kind of talent he can bring on. Um, that's if it is going to be him. But, I mean, look, at all we can do is go off kind of media reports. The FAI are letting little out of the bag. But, you know, you never think that the bookies are too far wrong when suddenly no, they see uh -huh. a lot of whispers going on and, and money going on Chris Coleman so you know we could start preparing maybe for him getting the job this week but then again a month ago we said Lee Carsley had the job it was all over forget about it so you never know in this game Now the Collingwood Cup uh, begins today So that's third level soccer yeah. and you know Galway's a long time waiting to, to be victorious in this competition. University of Galway have home advantage against Trinity in the quarterfinals today. That's at half past two in Dangan. Uh, in school soccer, uh, they're underway between Glenamady Community School and Tiernan's Cross Malina. That's on down in Castlebar in the Connacht Junior B Cup final. So we'll have a, a result on that at lunchtime. And tonight in the Premier League, it's Everton against Crystal Palace. An interesting weekend in the Premier League, Keith, with Manchester City drawing with Chelsea, one all. Yeah. And I think everybody was glad to see City dropping points because it was starting to look really ominous. And you just want this, like 25 games in, so what, 13 games to go. You'd like maybe in another five or six games time for City to be still chasing Liverpool and Arsenal. And then we'd have a right proper finish mm -hmm. to the season mm -hmm. um, because this is the point where City normally win every game from here to the end. But let's put it this way, if Liverpool win every game from here to the end, they're the champions. So that's the way they'll be looking at it. Uh, they've got Luton on Wednesday night. Luton were beaten by Man United yesterday, two goals to one. Um, 
and for Liverpool they had a victory at the weekend Arsenal likewise so City dropping points they lost a tiny bit of ground to Liverpool and Arsenal but I think you just want some sort of a Premier League race this year disappointment for going United on Friday night beaten 1-0 early goal conceded against St. Pats and never really threatened in getting it back uh, so that's a little bit disappointing from them but look it is early doors Pats are a big team like they, are, they won yeah. the FAI Cup so it was a very tough start and there'll be a lot easier games for going United to get points on the board. But uh, there was an awful lot of expectation though for Friday night last time. There was anticipation as much as anything because they're yeah. a long time waiting. Like it's 2017 since Go United played in the Premier Division. And that occasion, you might remember they finished tenth, but still ended up being relegated because of the way the yeah. the league was restructured that year, which was most unfortunate. Um, like there was two teams below them, and yet they still ended up going down uh, through the playoffs. So. Um, for Go United, look at they'll have a target set in their mind as regards what's needed at each of the, the quarters of the season mm-hmm. to try and get enough points to keep their head above water. But uh, there's a lot worse teams than Go United in the Premier Division. But you know, I think if you look at the top few, you know, Derry City are going to be there. Like money talks at the end of the day. It's no different to the League of Ireland than it is to the Premier League and that the, the sides with the biggest budgets end up in that order. Uh, you know, and yeah. so you're looking at Shamrock Rovers, Derry Pats, you know, they're the ones with, with, with the cash. Mm. Come here to me, uh, GA and uh, Galway had a, a good win. Yeah, and we'll hear from Porrie Joyce in a moment because the footballers registered a terrific victory against Tyrone. It was a real dogfight for most of the game. Galway started well, Rob Finnerty was on fire. They led four points to two and they didn't score at all for the second quarter and for uh, that period of time, uh, Tyrone outscored them 4-0. So 6-4 down at half time. It was tit for tat in the second half. The crucial goal came from Cahill Sweeney. Uh, about 15 minutes into the second half after Galway brought on Sean Kelly badly needed the team captain who had uh, limped off against Mayo in their defeat in the first round but now is back and God knows they've needed him he made a big difference when he came in and from there that goal gave Galway the lead and they held it to the finish a result that was of great relief to Port Joyce it's, it's massive, like you know, like we had 26 fit players come today, like we're going home with two of them injured now, Matty and Paul, so they're probably a huge doubt for next week. So, look, it's one thing I can say, like I've never ever had to question the character of these lads since, since I got involved with Galway. They're, the work they do for Galway is, is outstanding, and people probably don't realise it. I know they get a bit of harsh criticism the, f- the first two games, and that's the nature of the game. You know, I always say people are entitled to their opinion, and the job we're in, we're going to get some here and there. But look, at days like today, it's, 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 it's great, it makes it worthwhile, and the lads themselves know that there's more in them at the same time. We probably give away the ball a little bit too much here in the second half as well and didn't really kill out the game just left it in a bit of a dogfight a one score game all the time between two points three points but again that'll come to experience and this game will bring us on a good bit you, you can sense it in his voice there unfortunately it didn't go the way for the women's game yeah so go and then win by a point the ladies lose by a point and they were in a very strong position 111 to 11 points up going into the last 10 minutes but Dublin got five of the last six points to win by 16 points to 112 heartbreak for the Galway ladies so four defeats from four but they're still building and to be honest you're measuring them more against the likes of Dublin and Kerry than you would in the other league games just to see and look at Keith obviously the Kilcar and Clamourne girls back made a huge difference to Galway and they're a, a mm-hmm. different beast altogether when they have a full selection so it'll be really interesting to see how Galway get on on Sunday week at home to Meath when they have got those girls integrated for another couple of weeks some extra yeah. training Camogie went well at the weekend two good wins for intermediates and seniors against Clare and in schools action at the weekend a disappointment in the post-primary school senior A hurling a quarter final for Prez Athenry they lost out to Ardsquell Reach from Limerick by 114 to 19 um, golf wise 
Golf last night, we were watching the Genesis Invitational. Uh, Rory McIlroy had a peculiar weekend, up and down, but ended up on five under par. Twelve shots behind the leader and the winner, Hideki Matsuyama, who shot a final round 62 to win that PGA Tour event. Uh, McIlroy would have gone world number one had he won, but that never really looked on after a disappointing three over par first day. So he did well to battle back. Uh, Seamus Power on four under par had a reasonable week as well. Meanwhile, in athletics, terrific weekend for Galway and for Galway City Harriers at the National Senior Indoor Championships in Athlone. Uh, Killian Green won the men's 400 metres yesterday in a time of 47.2 seconds and Robert MacDonald took the men's 200 uh, on Saturday afternoon. So uh, terrific to see those two young men landing national titles. Really, really competitive uh, competition. And of course, you've got a lot of these guys will appear in the Olympic Games in the summer as well, no more than a lot of the national champions over the course of the week. So it was uh, some really top-class athletics and that's a sport that has really risen in the last few yeah. years and, and they're starting to put some money into that. And I think if we can get a medal out of the Paris Olympics from athletics, that will inspire another generation and another leap. Absolutely. Because Just keep it going, um, yeah. I was at the Head of the River launch, Keith, uh, which the Tribesmen Club are bringing back this year. Wow. And that was terrific. And it was great to hear from Heather Boyle, who's the Head of Communications with Olympic Ireland, about the expectation. And of course, she has to manage the expectation of a nation and the media in particular who are asking her, is this going to be Ireland's greatest ever Olympics? Because it's shaping up that way. It looks like it, yeah. Daniel Whiffen with two World Championship goals. Now, let's just be aware of the fact that the top Americans didn't come to the Worlds because they're preparing for the Olympics and they didn't fancy the trip to Doha. But even still, the manner in which Whiffen won his two gold medals would say it would take something spectacular to beat him and to stop him uh, winning gold. Certainly you'd expect him at this stage, yeah. if expect is a wrong word, to be winning medals in mm -hmm. swimming. Um, but outside of that, we've got a really strong rowing team. We're looking at possibly nine crews going and wow. they're expecting, you know, allowing for, you know, some crews coming out of nowhere and some doing really well that are expected to do that. You could be looking at four medals in rowing. The boxers always do something. And I mean, you'd expect strong going somewhere there. along there. And we haven't even completed the, the boxing team yet. But there's always a couple of medals coming out of the boxing. And then it's whether or not the athletics can deliver something. And then it's thrown over to the likes of the men's and women's rugby sevens. I mean, rugby has never been stronger in yeah, Ireland yeah, yeah. at all levels. Uh, and don't mention the show jumpers who, you know, come up trumps every now and again. And they are a leading nation in the mm. world at the moment. So wherever you look, I mean, you could have McElroy, Lowry, somebody could do something spectacular, Leona Maguire in the golf. So we've got interest in a lot of different angles in the Olympics, a lot more so than usual, where traditionally we'd be probably just looking at boxing to get yeah, us a yeah, medal. Yeah. Um, and the water sports have been really good to us as well. So these are exciting times. And that's an interview well worth listening back to on Goa BFM's website, the head of the River Launch, where we spoke to Neville Wack Maxwell, who's the president of Rowing Ireland. That was the main focus, clearly, of the night, giving it's a rowing event. But Heather Boyle talks in a broader context about the Olympic cycle and where Ireland are at at the moment, and it's a really exciting time. Good, God, let's listen back to that. Um, rugby, good so, for Connacht. So, yeah, good win for Connacht. They had to win that game. I mean, let's face it, Cardiff were missing nine of their Welsh contingent because of the Six Nations. Strange stadium to look at. Cardiff Arms is, yeah. I mean, we've traditionally watched it packed for Ireland-Wales matches and um, obviously Wales play now at the Millennium Stadium rather yeah, than the yeah. Cardiff Arms Park. Cardiff Arms where Noel Mannion scored that famous try right. going back 30 years ago plus. Um, 
but yeah, it's they're struggling at the moment in Welsh rugby. Let's be fair. I mean, they don't have the money. The bigger players are now heading off to play every, everywhere they can, be it England or France or beyond. And you know, they're they're just struggling for people to come and see the games as well because the Welsh clubs are not making an impact in European competition. Yeah. And so Cardiff were beaten by Connacht 16-12 uh, at the weekend. Connacht made hard work of it now. Let's call a spade a spade. Um, but they won it. Fine. Four points logged in. They needed that to create a little bit of a gap and put themselves back into that top eight contention. Yeah. So it's a funny time of the season because the Six Nations clearly is the priority. So they won't have another game now until uh, into March. So there's a there's a good layoff. There's like a, something like a nine week spell there where they've only two matches, and this is the first of those. So it was important that Connacht won, and they did win. So fair play, uh, they got the victory that they needed. A wet uh, night the, there now. The Connacht under eighteen girls though that was the real yeah. story. It's only the second time ever the Connacht have won an interprovincial title at under eighteen girls, and for them to beat Leinster in the final was terrific. I mean they put fifty points on Ulster in the semi final, and we thought well fair play, but mm-hmm. this is the litmus test is Leinster, and this was a fair different game it was really all about uh, defence being on top on both sides uh, both teams scored a try but crucially Connacht added a penalty as well uh, Emily Foley got the try uh, Sir uh, Shifra Hessian got the penalty that ultimately was the difference in Dubarry Park Athlone so Connacht won it 8 points to 5 so that's great to see uh, a victory for the, the young up and coming mm. and uh, the, did you have a look at the Mayo Kerry match? I did uh, saw a bit of that on on Saturday night, sixteen uh, fifteen to Kerry. Yeah, I mean, look, they're very competitive games, but there's nobody celebrating too wildly or getting too upset either way on the back of that. So, I great, think great crowd. That um, look, there's always going to be huge support, Mayo or box office, wherever they go, because for a start, they bring a massive crowd, and they've built up a nice little rivalry with Kerry in recent years as well, where the kingdom will come out to watch when Mayo come to town as well. No, they have good support anyway, Kerry, at their home matches. Yeah, but I mean, it looks well for uh, It'll be York. interesting to see how how, um, how Galway get on when they go to Killarney in, in the final round. That will mm. be an interesting match to see what relevance that fixture has. But briefly, will they, will they bring that um, Will they bring that, that many people to New York now? Well, of course. Why well, wouldn't they? Stop, just make a phone call to the passport office right now in Dublin. You'll be able to see all the, the Mayos that are renewing because that's the difficulty is uh, you, have, you have to have a Six your passport after. yeah, in, in date. So even if nothing else, this is a warning to Mayo people. Check your passport now. If you're heading off to the States in May, your passport needs to be in date by the end of this year. So uh, don't be turned back in Shannon and be disappointed. Uh, of course, I they'll bring a huge crowd to, to New York. I thought they'd be flying out a knock like. No, well. If, you I'd, never I'd know. Say, Anything is possible. I'd say if, if uh, Michael O'Leary can get hold of a big enough jet, he'll fill it <laughs> 20 times over. But uh, no, that's that's not too far away either. And I suppose from a Galway's perspective, we're up to fourth now on the table, which is an amazing jump with that one victory over Tyrone. And now it's in their own hands with uh, those home fixtures with Derry and Dublin to come and trips to Monaghan and Kerry. So uh, we're re- really into the thick of the National League action now in all codes, men and women. Mm. And as you say, it's not going to be that far around the corner before the end of March signals the end of the league and you're already talking championship. Yeah. Uh, Racing-wise? Cross-channel today, Keith. Nothing in Ireland. We're going over to Lingfield, Carlisle and Wolverhampton. Super duper duper. Thank you for that, Oliver. And uh, we have a book outside for you, by the way. We have it uh, for tomorrow morning's uh, programme, so we want you to read it tonight. 320 Shades of Greens, An Irish Golfer's Passion.
So full full synopsis of it by eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Three hundred and twenty different golf courses reviewed. That's yeah. what I take out of that. Yeah. So you'll have to go and review them. Beautiful. To, the book is outside if you want to have a, I'm a on quick it, look at it. Like a car bonnet. Oh, thanks for <laughs> like a car bonnet. Uh, tomorrow's program: the concern raised over the impact of potential collapse of the Atlantic. Uh, again, overturning the um, circulation current. Uh, a call for Galway's participation in nationwide protests for eating disorder awareness week. Uh, traffic questions remain on the council agenda for three months without an answer. A dream collaboration between Helium Arts, that's a lovely story, and the Brothers of Charity uh, to open in Galway this March. The Garda, you're looking for your assistance uh, tomorrow morning on the programme as well. I mentioned the book there, 320 Shades of Green, An Irish Golfer's Passion, and the author comes into us. We have trending topics uh, tomorrow, and we've got Evergreen, and we have Music Mornings with Agu as well. So all of that and more tomorrow morning here on the programme. That is it for today. We're getting a great reaction indeed to Paul Hughes and that um, Galway great piece. We'll be doing it all again. Tomorrow morning also on the programme we'll be giving you details of Friday week. We're going to be in Renmore. We'll be giving you details on that. And if you want to get involved or you want to nominate someone to get involved and work with John on this one, just email comments at galwaybfm.ie. So Community Matters coming to you from just up the road in Renmore. We're working on that for the rest of uh, today. And we'll give you details on that tomorrow morning. John Morley produced and did another excellent job. Fiona, take your comments. Push me your studio, Keith Finnegan. On to we talk to you tomorrow after the 9 o'clock news. Have a good and a safe Monday. Mind each other. Talk to you then.